When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series wherein I talk to somebody from out of market who's in another NBA market so that we can figure out, hey, what's going on with the other 29 teams in the NBA? And so that you, the listener, can kind of get the consensus on what the people around the NBA think of the Raptors. Today, Brendan Nunez of Sackdown Sports and King's Pulse, uh, the second one being a podcast, very good podcast, which I have been on a couple months ago. And uh, we're here to talk about the Raptors and the Kings, the upstart Kings who were, you know, one of the darlings of the NBA last season uh, and the Raptors who were the darling or one of them the year prior and then hit like a, a wall of sorts and then had a bunch of stuff go wrong. And now the roster looks different and it's a different coach. First thing I want to ask you, Brendan, how did the Kings avoid being that like hitting the wall, you know? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I mean, they brought back pretty much the same team. Like, I, I don't really see hitting a wall necessarily. If anything, I think that, like, the three seed that they were in last year is probably not a realistic expectation. Not even probably. In my mind, it's not. Like, 48 wins is nice. I don't think that's a typical three seed. And the improving on win the total. playoffs, like what 2013 or 14 with 49 wins or something. Or yeah, 48? something crazy like that. Yeah. And the West is uber competitive. You know, I think it was two to six was all Pacific division teams last year with the Kings somehow being at the top of that. So I think bringing back a lot of the same guys, not really having to change their style all too much. At least I don't think so. I don't think the Warriors necessarily gave people the blueprint or anything like that. Um, I, I think that hitting a wall isn't necessarily something I'm all too concerned about, but I do think that from a fan base perspective, you know, they haven't been in a position where they have expectations that are warranted and, you know, throughout the entire fan base, like they have gone into this year. And I think a little slump here and there might hurt the fan base a lot more than it maybe would have before. They are looking for the same thing that they've been looking for for years, a win. And I think they've kind of, they achieve wingy things piecemeal. You know, some of the, some of the bigs on the roster kind of do a little bit more like, you know, maybe they put the ball down, just they shoot the ball every once in a while. They, they space the floor, the guards have to guard up. They can be pretty like staunch. There, is, this, is this like a team that most of the fan base and the writers and the analysts are looking at it like, we hope there's a trade mid-season, like that's the ad? I mean, I'm the one kind of thinking that eventually that will happen, but I think there was probably like 
two years, year and a half, where it's like, okay, writing is on the wall for Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley to the point where it's like, you know, this is probably affecting the rest of the team, not necessarily them as people, just the, the conversation and everybody knows that it's just a matter of time, but they waited a long time to move those guys. They were very patient. So I do think that eventually it will be trading a lot of draft picks for a third guy or maybe like a 3A, 3B with Keegan Murray if he pans out in the way that they're extremely optimistic about him. So I do think eventually, but I don't know that I'd bet on it being this year, but I do think they'll be aggressive in searching for that, but patient and making sure it's what they want. We mentioned, well, when we talked in the summer, we were discussing possible trades, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, chiefly among those trade talks and the Kings being interested. Are you still, do you still look that way and think, wow, if we could figure something out? Yeah. I mean, OG still got to be the one, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, you know, but where we got hung up in our conversation, and I'd imagine it wouldn't surprise me if this is the same way and through the front offices as just the Keegan Murray conversation. Yeah. Like the Kings are absolutely enamored with Keegan Murray. And I see it now. Like I, I admittedly didn't really before. I don't know that I'm at the same level as them, but there's a lot of hype around the offseason work that he's done, the way he's been able to put the ball on the floor. It, it's really just got to be one or two dribbles you know, attacking closeouts and then making something happen from there. And I think we've seen enough flashes, like 140 ball in summer league isn't necessarily enough, but it was different, right? It wasn't done in the same way. And there's, albeit overreactions to that, but there's a lot of excitement around what he could potentially be. And I think that's where the conversation gets hung up. Yeah, I think it, it wasn't your your combo guard 40 ball, like your, your summer league combo guard 40 ball. Right. I think that makes sense. The the Keegan Murray stuff, yeah, I think Raptors fans would be like, because you know everyone underrates talent elsewhere and then everyone overrates talent at home. That's why fan bases couldn't complete trades. Front offices have to at some point, but fan bases... I, I would say if both fan bases hate the trade that you probably got a decent one. You're, you're in like an okay spot. And <laughs> I think the Raptors fans would be just completely irate with trading OG and having Keegan Murray be the centerpiece coming back. And I'm sure Kings fans would be irate the, sure. the same way, but it doesn't seem like that's something just, just want to rehash that a little bit. The Siakam well, stuff. And, yeah. And Siakam's part of that conversation too, right? Except a know. bigger cost. Right. Um, right. So talking about hitting a wall, the Raptors, they did, and they had a little bit of what, the Kings did where you said, you know, they're returning so much of the same roster. When you look at, you know, there's always statistical analysis. They always have their data models that say things like when you return a large part of a roster, that means that, you know, continuity is typically a really good indicator for future success, especially if you're a good team. The Raptors didn't do it. The hope is that the Kings can do the thing that is statistically modeled as a version of success and that the Raptors failed at. But when you look at this Raptors team, do you think that they're, given that they struggled so much last year, but made a trade for Yaka Pirtle, finished since getting Pirtle on a, like a 47-48 win pace, they're restarting the season with a new coach, with functionally Dennis Schroeder and Jalen McDaniels instead of Fred Van Vliet, and Grady Dick on the team. What do you make of them? I don't really know what to make of them, to be honest. They seem... Uh confusing from a perspective of somebody that wasn't watching them extremely closely last year. That's like the fourth or fifth 
I'm confused about the Raptors answer out of like nine, 10 interviews so far. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's so black and white that you need to commit to like, are you win now or are you embracing youth, youth movement? But it does seem a little like too much on both sides in a way. Like, I think you could just lean a little bit more towards one, maybe. Um, and, you know, Van Vliet going, which makes sense. That was a lot of money that he got from Houston, obviously. You can't match it. No, no. You, you can't and Dennis Schroeder balled out in FIBA. But like he very much he always balls out when he plays for Germany. I think it's like Patty Mills with Australia and Dennis Schroeder with Germany. Like those two guys just go crazy. And now Shea with Canada. Yes. He was awesome. Yes. Um, so you know, I'm interested to see some of the development of like what is how much is the ball in Scotty Barnes's hands? What sort of differences are we gonna see with Darko at the helm? I very much would have been intrigued to see what it was with Jordy, but still going to be uh, keeping tabs with Darko, obviously. And, you know, they have a lot of size. Like, I'm a guy that when I when I play my 2K, I'm, I'm a my team guy, and I'm just trying to get all the wings yes. possible and switch everything. That is what I how I like to play and how I like to experience basketball. And so the Raptors inst- interest me from that perspective, but the half-court offense, like, what is that going to look like? That's you. You mentioned Jordy. Obviously, I don't. I only express this. There's no reason you would know other than if you re- saw a tweet. But handsome bald guy, I wanted him. I, I I've already <laughs> I've started my relationship with Darko in a in a good spot. I like him a lot. There's been you know he has more stuff in the public consciousness of like podcasts he's done, articles he's written about his thoughts on basketball. But having Jordy come along afterwards and be like Team Canada. Nick Nurse is out of the country. I got you. That meant a lot. Um, <laughs> and and so it's so funny because Jordy starts off in the public consciousness. Canadians, they just love the guy now, obviously. It's their best finish by a mile. And they beat the United States to do it. And they have all these stars. And he had like two months to prepare. And so everyone's like, Darko, what have you done for me lately? But he, I don't know, it's the off season. It's not like he can do much. I think it's funny. It, it's funny to me that Jordy took that job. Like, I, I always am curious how these came about. Like, Jay Triano being right next to Jordy on Sacramento's roster. I'm like, was there communication there? Or like, I don't know. I'm curious how that ended up working out the way it I, did. I do think there was. And I also think that there was um, preliminary conversations when Jordy was talking with the Raptors that you know you're already in the vicinity mm. um might as well because Nick Nurse obviously was right. leaving got fired and as much as everybody was like he still has a commitment to Canada there was no way and so everybody is kind of you know trying to juggle this thing while it's you know still moving and Jordy ended up being the guy who can juggle so many things at once anyway good for Jordy I know you guys love him in Sacramento yes. when any anytime anybody talked about him whether it was like it doesn't matter what team was interviewing him, the Raptors or be it anybody else. Everyone's like, Jordy is the best. He's going to rock. And whoever, whoever, you know, picks him up, they got a good one. Um, Just a matter of time. Yeah. As you mentioned, the size. The Raptors, this is a question I've been asking everybody. What do you think the defensive ceiling is? And you don't have to pick the number for the defensive rating, but, you know, there's like one through five, five through ten, et cetera. What do you think their range is? I mean... It's got to be pretty close to the roof, right? Yeah. Like the, I, I guess the, no, I mean the perimeter containment's there too. Like you have the the bigger wings that can take care of those guards. Pirtle obviously is a really solid backline there. 
I guess it's some of like the, what are the bench pieces that are coming in? But I, I think like there's a lineup that is elite defensively as a team. Maybe when you get to the bench, it starts to fall off a little bit, but there's a lineup that's got to be flirting with top five. It's, I think the bench stuff comes down to, you know, how, how does Grady do? How well are they able to keep him away from the on-ball stuff and still, you know, get some positives out of his pretty good defensive awareness off-ball? He's got slow feet, though. You want to keep him away from the action if you can. Is Otto Porter Jr. healthy? Because if Otto Porter Jr. is healthy, the last time he was, he was in the championship rotation and played a similar spot on the Warriors as he will with the Raptors. Um, Mike Brown has talked very highly about what Otto Porter did for that Warriors team and how much of their fall off. Like he really pointed towards, you know, Otto Porter and Gary Payton not being there at the beginning of last year. Yeah. Like Otto Porter, if healthy, is great. It's just his toe was missing for 18 months, something like that, which was tough pill to swallow for a team that didn't shoot well or defend well in that stretch. And as you mentioned, like they'll have a very, very strong lineup. I think they were between four and six since trading for Pirtle. Fred Van Vliet had a better defensive stretch since Pearl came over. But I also think losing Van Vliet, and if the starting lineup ends up being that they just move Scotty to point guard, and maybe you lose a little bit in containment, but you have so much size in rotation at the nail and at the rim, and you know length to recover out once you pinch in, uh, I think that the defense will get better once like with Fred gone now that's because he's a far cry from where he was defensively um Schroeder despite not being like a world beater defensively and has fallen off a little bit of where he was because he was a very strong guard defender I think is still relative to a lot of guards a positive um even if he's not going to make all defense or anything like that I think the defense should be really good as you said like the roof seems like it's the roof yeah and and, like to your point with Schroeder like when you have that sort of help defense, you can be that much more mm-hmm. physical and like an annoyance as a as a point of attack defender. The thing I want to ask about, though, we're talking about the roof, the backcourt with the Kings, Monk, Fox. We got I know those you love playoff. Malik. Malik is great, man. Um, they had that playoff performance. The, do you think that garners more like possessions for him this upcoming season? Do you think like they look for that more often? And if so, do you think that the Kings with Fox and Monk could actually be in consideration for like a top five, top three backcourt in the NBA? Well, I still think they're going to roll with Herter. I think that we see Monk in ideally in like six man of the year conversations and still closing games. You know, it's situational, like who's closing him versus Herter. I do think that obviously his secondary playmaking is really important, but I think that if like in that Warriors series specifically, if Sabonis is confident and comfortable knocking down that mid-range shot, which he said that he's absolutely planning on working on that. And I think we've seen him do it before. It's just like it wasn't Gonzaga. part of his typical rhythm. Right. Yeah. He, he absolutely has done it before. I think it's going to be there. But if that's there in that Warriors series, they play up on him a little bit more and he can function as that secondary playmaker a lot better in my mind. Um, So I think it's situational to go back to Monk when he'll be closing games compared to Kevin Herter, or maybe you see both of them at the same time on certain nights. But I think that Fox could even, keyword could, like I'd 
you know, could just stay at the same level, but I think he could go to another level. He's 25. Yeah. Like he's still extremely young and he very much was a, you know, ramp up, figure out the game, the game plan from the other, from the opposing defense. And then by the fourth quarter, okay, I've got it down. I'm going to just go off. But if he does that in the first half, that maybe you see a little bit more if he can lock in a little bit more defensively and, and just clean up some of these small things, right? Everybody's going to point to the three-point shooting, obviously, but I think there's other aspects that he could clean up and take another step. Um, Herder as well. Herder, Malik, and and um, De'Aaron are all right around 25, 26. So all of these guys could end up taking another step. And I think when it comes to just how dynamic and versatile offensively a backcourt can be, Fox and Monk side by side have to be in that conversation. I, I imagine there's others above them, to be honest. I can't think off the top of my head, but I, they, they're sure, definitely up there. I think as far as if you're not getting like a first team all NBA guard or something like that, uh, having a guy like Fox, whose game is very clearly going to be able to ratchet up because of his comfortability in the mid range in the playoffs and you're going to miss out on some of the easy efficiency that regular season defenses allow because of like just the walk into threes, the it's more laissez-faire. And De'Aaron, like to his credit in the playoffs, can continue ratcheting things up when they get more difficult, but also isn't always making things as easy as it seems it could be during the regular season. Monk and Fox both seem overwhelmingly like, and not to be too much into the, you know, the cliche, but the playoff players and then Herder is a guy who you know you talk about like 82 game players he struggled but Herder is a guy who I hope he has like way better playoffs this time around but the regular season for sure like that true shooting was through the roof he was giving you like heaps and heaps of points he was just running through these basic actions and making them dangerous against these base coverages the Kings seem like a very safe bet with all they do around Sabonis to win like a bunch of games but that adaptability in the playoffs, do you think that there's other guys on the roster who can kind of match and meet, I guess, Monk and Fox's ability last season to kind of ratchet things up against more difficult coverage? Maybe Duarte can work his way into the conversation. I'm not the most confident in it. He likes his mid-range. Um, I think there's going to be moments of frustration regarding that. But, you know, he can put the ball on the deck and make something happen when he needs to. I think think need to see it a little bit more and specifically how he fits in the system you know that's not just going to come out in the playoffs if he's not a regular in the rotation leading up to that point so that'll be interesting to see I'm actually very interested in how he could work out in this equation because they have defensive shortcomings obviously very like honestly just horrible defensively last year and having the best offense in the league uh, when it comes to offensive rating made up for that but you look at a closing lineup and it's Fox and one of Herder or Monk and then Harrison Barnes Keegan Murray DeMontis Bonus. And if you can slide Duarte into there some games to close instead of Herder or Monk, you might improve decently defensively because Herder and Monk are the two guys that opposing offenses are looking at and like, give me him and kind of doing what they want, you know? So I'm interested to see how that sort of works. And I think they hope that the other guy is Keegan Murray. Yeah. Harrison Barnes has his moments of like, you know, six free throws in half a quarter just to, calm the pace down, get everybody level-headed again, and and sort of try to regain control and momentum of a game. But they hope it's Keegan Murray. I don't think that we see it yet. The 
you know, comp that he's used for himself. And I start to see a little more and more or believe in that as a potential outcome more and more is Chris Middleton and, you know, just efficient with his dribbles. I don't think that you're getting these tween crosses with Keegan Murray right now necessarily, but attack the closeout. And when you get to the rim, don't try to double clutch, like dunk it. When they first drafted him, Monty McNair said at his press conference right after drafting him, one of the things he highlighted was his dunk percentage and just how efficient he was. It's not like he's throwing it down on people, but he's just putting it in the basket, the most efficient shot in basketball. And this year he was like hesitant. And summer league, that was one of the things right from the jump, he threw it down on somebody and it was like, okay, that's a little different. Now do that against full NBA rosters. So I think they hope it can eventually be Keegan Murray, but I don't really think there's that much reason to believe that last year's weaknesses won't be this year's weaknesses. Sure. That's that's something that Keegan can emulate from OG, for example, though. OG doesn't really have good touch in the floater range. He doesn't really have good touch as far as like layups and stuff like that. But year in, year out, he's going to shoot 70 plus percent from like the zero to three feet or zero to four feet. I don't know if you're basketball reference or cleaning the glass guy, but, you know, just dunk the ball. And you'll make a lot of shots. I mean, every once in a while you get it, you know, pushed back on you. But hey, them's the breaks. I was going to ask, what do you think garners a better record during the regular season? A bottom 10 offense with a top five defense or a top five offense with a bottom 10 defense? Because I think that's the two teams we're talking about or roughly around this question. I wish it was defense, but I think it's (laughs) offense. In the regular season. In the postseason, I don't know who gets further. Probably right? because need, probably neither get out of the yeah, first round. That that's a good that's a good answer. Because yeah. I'm a big believer in like you can be consistent as a team if you play good defense, because you can do that every single night. Offensively, you're gonna have nights where you can't the shots just don't go in. Now, Sacramento had so many shooters on this roster that it was pretty rare. To be fair, a lot rarer than I thought it would be. But there's going to be games where that doesn't work. And it's like, okay, well, can you lock up and get a stop? So I think that's where you can find consistency. But in today's NBA, I feel like it's got to be offense for regular season. Well, it's that there's that old you know saying, it's like defense travels, you know, right. something like that, I guess. But also, you know, if you score a bunch, you make sure that other teams are taking the ball out of their basket which helps out on defense a lot. And then, you know, if you get a lot of stops, you would think that you get to push a lot and you can, but your transition offense is not necessarily guaranteed. And that's something that the Raptors ran into last year is that they weren't as efficient in transition as they needed to be, despite getting out in transition a ton. And not every stop is a transition look. I think in the regular season, the better offense wins more games. And um, obviously between these two teams, the margins are obviously going to have a, like if, if Sacramento was number one on offense and the Raptors are like between four and seven defensively, there's an edge there for one team and not the other. And then the Raptors, I think they finished 12th in offensive rating by the end of the season, even though they were bottom five and half court offensive rating. I have no idea what it's going to look like this year. Like if they snuck into the top half offensively, I'd be very impressed. 
And it, same thing goes for the, well, actually, if the Kings sneak past like 22, I'd be like, wow, defensive changes. They worked. I agree. And Summer League uh, assistant coach Luke Lauks, coach of the Summer League team, was just talking about physicality. And, you know, that wasn't just a Summer League thing. That's what they are hoping will be the difference maker for this team defensively going into next year. And we saw that Warriors physic- uh, that Warriors series was extremely physical. And I think that was part of the f- what happened with Kevin Herter and why Kevin Herter really struggled to shoot the ball. He's just exerting so much effort defensively that his legs weren't really there on offense. And he kind of acknowledged that he needs to get in better shape. And that's certainly not to say he was in bad shape. The way that guy is sprinting around the floor on both ends just all the time. Mm-hmm. But chasing Clay Thompson on one end, being physical, and then trying to do it yourself on the other end, I think had an impact. So I think that you know, betting on just being a more physical team is maybe not the best formula, but they only have so many options. And if they really, really embrace that, I'm interested to see how that affects their offense. Is there anybody outside of Duarte that you think like, this guy could surprise people? This guy, because that's that's what Sacramento was last year, was just Fox was way better than, you know, a lot of people thought. Sabonis, obviously, with the keys to the offense as the hub was way better. Their glut of guys who run and shoot and like sprint off of dribble handoffs. Is there anybody waiting in the wings that you think would surprise people this year? Absolutely. Um, Sasha Vizenkov, EuroLeague MVP, coming over. I think it's reasonable for people to not be the most educated on him. Like OKC brought in a EuroLeague guy that I still need to have a way better understanding of before the season comes around. But Sasha Vizenkov, EuroLeague MVP. They've had his draft rights for about two years, and he's just continued to get better. I think they actually traded a late second round pick two or three drafts ago to get his draft rights. He was initially the 50th something pick to the Nets, his rights years ago, and he's just continued to get better. And last year ended up EuroLeague MVP on a team that really plays a very similar offense to Sacramento. A lot of split cuts and he shoots the lights out with an extremely quick release. And the thing that got really pointed out to me is how efficient he is with his dribbles. He's not somebody that's, you know, taking beating people off the bounce. It's all these like subtle fakes that you like, don't even think should actually beat somebody, but he's just smooth with it enough and has such a threat of that deep ball that when he does get down tail, he's got good touch with both hands. Another lefty, the Kings just love their lefties apparently. And, I'm very interested to see how he works alongside DeMontis Sabonis. There's going to be an adjustment, but I think there's going to be some nights where he just explodes offensively and needs to be closing games. But another guy where, notice I didn't talk about his defense at all. That's what that's what kept him over there? What's that? The, the him, defense, him. you reckon? No, he wanted to, or the Kings wanted him to come over for the last uh, couple seasons, and he was hesitant he mm-hmm. we we had his press conference within uh a, about a month and he said that you know seeing the team improve the way it did last year and he just really wants to be in a winning setting that that did a lot for him and in, in his decision so they've wanted him for a little while cool i i love that uh, you know the raptors uh, it was it's like a three years ago and farther back thing now but nando decolo for years they were like man if you want to come over we have your rights. We would love to have you. He's a, he was, you know, he's still good, but he was really fantastic for a long time. Um, a question I have for you. 
I'm going to list some names and I wonder, and I'll kind of want to hear your, your preference. So it's the glut of wing sized bigs or big sized wings, what, however you want to frame it. Um, it's the meme, you know, it's the, the small boulder, the size of a large boulder or whatever it is. That's the Raptors team building philosophy. So Otto Porter Jr., Chris Boucher, Thaddeus Young, Jalen McDaniels, Precious Achua, and I think, yeah, we'll leave it there. Does anybody pop out to you? You're like, okay, I, this guy for sure, minutes. Well, I think it depends how he looks, but I think Otto Porter is a guy that every team would love to have if he you know, gets back to somewhat close to what he was like in Golden State. Just not somebody that you're asking to do too much, but just a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. And the size that he has, I, I think people can forget or not realize just how big and long he is as a player. So that is extremely interesting to me. And, you know, I kind of am interested in Jalen McDaniels. He's he's very raw, but he, again, another one of these guys, I guess it's just the whole Raptors roster, um, but a lot of length and potential defensively. Like, I think that seeing him get bullied a little bit and the three-point shot definitely needs to be ironed out, but I have some interest there. And, and that's not to say that I don't with these other guys. I really liked Presser Shachua at the time of the draft. And it was so funny. Everybody's like, oh, is he a small forward or what is he? I'm like, no, I think this guy's a center. I he thinks think. he's a shooting or guard. Or a four. Yeah, which, you know, maybe that's uh, part of the process here, I guess. But he's intriguing to me. And But I do kind of think of more as a of a big and maybe hasn't shown quite as much as I would have initially thought since the draft. But I, I do still have some intrigue there. But where do you get the developmental minutes for him, right? This is the thing. The Raptors' front court is jam-packed. Like, Precious Achua coming off of, I know, like, you've been, you've seen conversations Raptors fans have had. You've talked to me enough times to hear absurd uh, Precious Achua propaganda, especially coming out of the, the season where they, you know, they had a puncher's chance against Philly, let's say. He played a massive role as the center. He, he was tremendous defensively. He shot like 44% on threes in the second half of the season on like five attempts a game. Everything is trending. And he's punching these like posters on everybody every game. Everything's trending in the right way. Last season went horrible. And so he might not even be able to carve out the role he wants. Jalen McDaniels obviously chose this team because he thought, you know, I'm going to fit into their, you know, their love of wings with like a lot of length i'll get a lot of easy looks out of the corners i'll have a bunch of opportunities to make plays defensively he might not get to carve out a yeah. situation you know Pirtle is there siakam is there scotty is there they have to work you know grady in og is there of course like thaddeus young he's not playing him yeah obviously chris boucher he's he's getting paid the same amount as uh, Dennis Shooter, like he's like a mid-level type contract. What I remember the the conversations about him and Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, what the hell? I don't. If if a couple guys pop off, they could have themselves a winning season for sure. But I just, I'm very interested to see what happens because, and I I got to tell you, you're you're on the outside looking in here, but uh, I don't think anybody has any inkling on who's going to take those spots and run with them over on this side either. Do you think of it as like more likely than not just everybody gets a shot and who sticks? 
I think that's how it's going to shake out because I don't know why Darko would have any allegiance to any of the fledgling guys. Like Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, for better or for worse, Thaddeus Young, they had played with Nick Nurse and had shown him something and there's like that shared history and bad shared history in some respects for some of those players. But, you know, like Darko probably looks at Otto as like a stabilizing force, says this is good, you shoot well, he's probably going to get the first shot. But if Precious Achua is, you know, making a lot of mistakes on the court on both sides, if he's not playing his best, if Chris Boucher is having a tough time inputting himself, like, of course it should probably go, it's going to go to Jalen, and then maybe they want to play even bigger and go to like Christian Coloco or something. But none of that, I think, is, they even have Mohamedou Goy or Guy. I can't remember how that's said. I learned it at Summer League. But they have guys even on the, the G League or the two-way situation. So it's like, I don't really know. Uh and I will say, like Mike Brown, obviously it's different. He had NBA ties prior, but like came in with, you know, seemingly some prior relationships like Casey Akpala and Chima Moneki specifically and Chemezi Metu, but Chemezi Metu was already there. But all three of those guys played for him on the Nigerian national team that beat t- Team USA that one year. And ironically, also Jordi Fernandez was an assistant on that team. And so was assistant Luke Laux. But, you know, very quickly, Casey Akpala started the first four games and it was like, all right, well, Keegan Murray's obviously the guy here. Like Keegan just played well enough and you replaced him. And, you know, so even if there is maybe some prior thoughts or relations between Darko and whatever players like can change fast. Right. Yeah. I, the guys will have to prove it and there'll, I'm right. sure there'll be opportunities, especially if they're trying to move. Well, especially since they're going to have less, pick and roll play like the half court offense is going to be more hub e or hub adjacent because they just they then shooter isn't going to run as many pick and rolls as fred van vliet had been and fred van vliet wasn't running that many pick and rolls anyway pascal siakam wasn't and it's easier for guys to kind of plug into those hubs to run off of stuff yeah, as you say like split cuts dribble handoff they'll run a ton of delay i'm sure be it with you know Jakob or scotty as the trigger man guys will have opportunities to kind of plug in i guess we'll see what happens this is the question i want to ask you too because you watched the team or the best offense a ton of them like all of them last season and they leaned harder into the hub stuff than even the nuggets do right the nuggets even run like a little bit more prototypical offense at times than the kings do do you think that the the NBA has kind of been waiting for this, that it was in the spread pick and roll stuff for so long that the Kings doing it kind of piecemeal without a ton of stars shows, you know, teams or team builders that there's a higher offensive, um, I guess, output here if you just switch into like a little bit more of the egalitarian play through the bigs? I think you just have to have the right players. So maybe the NBA transitions into a way where you know, the same way that we're seeing all these like larger six, eight guys that, you know, from an early age are like, I can be a point guard. And so you see those. So maybe in due time, we'll see more bigs that can pass in this way. But I think it's pretty unique that like Mike Brown was able to come over and implement this very similar to Golden State offense, not, you know, it, copy and paste, but there's a lot of similarities because Draymond can really, really pass. 
And obviously Sabonis fits into that as well. But I really think there's only so many guys that you can run that properly with right now. You know, like when Sabonis is not out there, their offense takes a big hit and you make up for it defensively. But it's not quite the same. You know, they still try to run the same offense just with pick and rolls rather than DHOs, but it's not as crisp, right? Those backdoor cuts are not getting hit in the same uh, with the same speed. And so I don't know how replicable replicable it is unless you have the proper big slash forward to do it. Okay, so this is perfect. Do you think Scotty's good enough to do it? Probably. And I mean, the first guy I thought of is Pascal. Probably um, he would like he faces up too often, you know, like he, he's that. too score first. Like, right. It's Scotty has had it, it happened in like the, the start of January to roughly until they traded for Jakob, which changed the complexion of the offense. But they went through a phase where they did a lot of dribble handoff stuff with Scotty and they were playing bad teams at the time, but it looked pretty good. And the reads, like he makes great reads. He he is not the screener that Sabonis is, obviously, or that Draymond is. But year two, I guess we'll see. Right. But he definitely has the potential to do it. That's kind of I that's what I've been even if it's not their full offense, I just why wouldn't you run like that's how you weaponize guys who don't dribble yep. that well. Like if you just even in a pick and roll, you have to be able to manipulate and shift your defender to come off the screen correctly. You have to do it with a live dribble. If it's easier for Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi to navigate these things as a scorer with less dribbles, I mean, what the hell? I, I'm pretty sure, obviously, Damanis Sabonis and Fox and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were ranked extremely highly for like the handoff stuff. Um, same with Bam and somebody else I can't remember. I don't think it was Gabe Minson. But I think the fourth best handoff pairing in the NBA last season was Gary Trent Jr. and Scotty per the points per possession or whatever it's um it's very interesting but i want to ask because you know you watch more big man hub stuff than like anybody you know it's a joy to watch though i gotta say it is gorgeous offense they move the ball amazingly well you know ball reversals are a big part of their offense as well and they just keep everybody involved like early in the year kevin herter's quote that i just repeated over and over because i think it's a great way to put it is he was just like the ball is power and I don't think that it's a coincidence he's saying this coming from an Atlanta offense that, you know, was uh, very pick and roll heavy and he was probably standing around a lot more than he is in Sacramento. But getting those touches does so much for guys just mentally, mm -hmm. just feeling it a little bit, you know, and feeling like you're a part of it. That impacts how you're going to how hard you're going to cut every single possession. Like the Kings always talked about their pace, not only in the in the full court, but in the half court, like sprinting through their actions and their cuts. And I think you totally saw that. And But the ball movement and running that sort of offense, I think really does leak in over into guys' efforts on the defensive end. It's, I don't know, it's anybody who's played any sport ever, it's like when you feel more involved, there's, you know, the ball is power. It's a great quote. It's, I, I realized right as I said it how ironic it is because the Kings were obviously horrible on defense, but they tried. They tried. They could have been even worse. Like that's, they definitely could have. That's the sell. He's like, you look at the personnel and you say, it's it's incredible they got even to this point. Um, the Sabonis screen, the leave behind, it's starting to populate around the NBA a lot. Um, how cool is that? To like, you know, as big men who work in screens, um, it's not often that you get kind of like a signature. 
and it can go the wrong way, like Rudy Gobert being like, you know, screen assist merchant <laughs> and people, you know, killing him for years. But Sabonis has a cool screen thing. And it's not the Steven Adams screen assist merchant thing either. It's like a completely separate thing. Yeah, it's funny because you saw at the beginning of the year guys like not fully being ready for it. You just have to it's not even necessarily being ready for it. It's just like go through your action and think that the ball might be there. You know, I don't know how he's going to get it there, but like the screen will be fully set and the ball will somehow be in your hands and you're already past the screen. And Kevin Herter was easily the best two man game um, that I felt like existed there when it came to that. Like Kevin is just absolutely sprinting off these down screens and going into that. And other guys started to pick up on it, too. You know, I think obviously with De'Aaron, them both getting to play on the right side of the court as lefties, I I think is just extremely helpful and just the little stuff that you know you're so used to as a defender uh, dealing with right-handed players and taking away things for that way and I think just having to think half a second more because you're dealing with lefties sometimes again more of a regular season thing uh, might have benefited them a little bit but it's really cool to see Domas do that man like one of the underrated aspects is that when he knows he's setting a screen he's not jogging up there to set it like he is running up there to get that screen set They're trying to preserve every second of the shot clock that they can. And he's just the most selfless guy possible. Like his screens have got to hurt. De'Aaron was just on a podcast, um, Deuce and Mo podcast, shout out. That was a phenomenal podcast and talked about how he knew how much these screens were going to free him up because he remembers running into them and they hurt. And Domas takes pride in that and will do it every single night. You know, it hurts the other guy, but obviously it's got to have some sort of physical impact on Domas, but it does not look like it does at all. It's amazing how he's able to set guys up in that fashion. And and he'll fake it. Like the entire time the ball's in his hand, he's like palming it and it's just constantly moving and faking. Like it's so hard to figure out where he's going with it. And that's what they want to do with their offense. They want it to be unguardable because there's not a set, you're doing this on this play. It's just all read and react. I think it's one of the coolest, because everybody who's played pickup, and it's not the same at the NBA level, of course, but you know this can help illustrate. Try, try and get a guard to set you a screen. They will plant it like one out of 15 times. And even a big is going to get like, you know, and pick up like four out of 15. Everybody and their mom who watches the NBA now sees big men who can't screen and the reason why, like the leave behind is that you would think, oh, obviously I should do this. That's simple. It isn't the passing talent that enables that. I'm sure, like it helps, but it's the awareness of the coverage you're seeing and knowing if I leave this ball behind me, I'm not letting the guy shoot the gap. And like, I just, it's the confidence in the screen craft that lets him just leave it. You know, the ball will be over there. Like go run and get it. I'm going to make sure this... He's to be, as you say, like brutish in your screening that De'Aaron's like, holy smokes, this guy, I'm hitting a wall, but also like those like light feet to make sure you're always in the right spot. And that is not this egregious moving screen. It's, um, it's a lot of talent and it isn't, you know, the common focused on talent in the NBA, but it's such a unique way to help kind of, you know, move offense forward and uh, move the game forward. And I know it's been happening like there are these fledgling attempts at doing that. Some guys have done it, but um, he's doing it at the highest rate, most effectively in the history of the league at this point. And it's, it's a small thing, 
but it's a cool thing. And but yeah, I just wanted to appreciate that. It's neat. Uh, agreed. Caitlin Clark, I think at one point when he was in Indiana, did a amazing piece about like angles of screening when it came to Domas. And if anybody yeah. has not read that, absolutely check it out. Basically, anything Caitlin Cooper does is like, it's just gonna, agreed. Yeah. I said Caitlin Clark, huh? Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin Cooper, of course. Always read <laughs> Caitlin Cooper, ARCC. Coined by Evan Gualberto, I believe. Um, the best writer doing it. And she'll be on for the Indiana episode for people who are listening to every one of these. Um, but yeah, the best. You could point to like 16 different things she wrote about Domas for sure. while he was. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's cool offense, as you say. It's a dream to watch. I I have friends. I have other people. My friend Makai, he was begging me. He's like, let me do the Kings episode. He asked me last year. He asked me this year. I said, nope, not letting you do it. Obviously, I'm talking to you. But people love the Kings. Like, it's a fun team to root for. They that how, they got the sauce, how, man. How long do you think that'll last? Uh, I kind of think it's a one-year thing. And, like, there's already going to be people that sour on them. But, you know, it will still be a majority that I think are rooting for them. But I think that changes fast, right? They're not new anymore. Right. I think it's people will be like, okay, we get it. Because people, the Jazz were incredible. Like they killed offensively for years. And I think the Kings get one more year, one more year. Yeah. They're not like the darlings. Not everyone's like, oh my God, you know, it's the genius basketball down in Sacramento. Um, you guys don't have to worry about that much because you guys have such great fans and such like a, you know, a ferociously passionate fan base for that team anyway. But I, if they lose in the first round again, I think people will do what they always do, which I hate, but they're just going to say like, oh, it's a toy offense, like whatever. Agreed. But I don't know. That's people are very um, zero sum about the NBA, which, you know, you don't get to appreciate the mix of the leave behind with the screen craft if you're zero sum or, you know, De'Aaron Fox's incredible, you know, pace, all that kind of stuff. Um, everyone gets tired of everything. But them yeah, breaks. Not us. Not us. Not us. <laughs> I, I get tired of something. So I'm going to be honest. That's true. That's yeah. fair. Me too. But um not the NBA wide, I suppose. But Brendan, I guess that's as like as good a place to leave it as any. Um, do you have any parting shots? Could be Raptors adjacent, could be King stuff, um, you know, could be whatever you want. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um we gotta make sure to say hi next time in Summer League. We didn't well, we, I I we said hi. We were like, hey, I'm here. Where are you? Yeah. But the, the schedule was not friendly. It was not. No. Um yeah, I, I did see, I talked to Josh a little bit, I think after you left and he was sharing the court you guys found on the way back from the Grand Canyon. Oh, and um, I forget who it was that posted pictures. It looked gorgeous. Yeah, man. It was, that, that would have been me, I suspect, because I have my little, my so. Fuji film camera out there. That's I was snapping right. pics, but it was awesome. And we also found a run, the YouTuber um, slash writer run. And we ran it, man. Ooh, we we did good. Um, Josh is the best too. I'm I'm glad you guys linked up because Josh, I think, actually was he introduced me to your work like uh, two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, But uh, yeah, because I was like, hey, I'm looking for a Kings guy, and he was like, this guy. I met him at uh, Cal Classic Summer League. Yes, yeah. And then so I was like, oh, let me go check it out. And I was like, oh, this guy's work is fantastic. And shout out Josh. That work. Sacktown Sports, King's Pulse, if anybody wants it. Brendan, for anybody who wants to pay attention to one of the coolest 
um, most offensively functional teams in the league. Brendan Nunez, that's the way to do it. Brendan, how's that feel? Like a podcast? It does feel like a podcast. Thanks, Sam. We did it. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more of these. Hope you enjoyed this one. I've said that twice now. That's a good way to sign off. For real. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Bye, everybody.